This is our God's word given to us uh, to hear this morning, that we might know our God and follow him in this world. So let's give our attention to the reading of it. He, that is Jesus, also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John... Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So ends the reading of God's word. Uh, Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time uh, in it. Our glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we confess that sometimes your word can be hard to understand. And we confess that we need your help. We need your spirit opening our hearts and minds, giving us understanding. So do that today, we pray, as we look at your word. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had uh, someone say to you, if you spent half as much time on your schoolwork as you do on those video games, dot, 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 you know, or uh, if you cared half as much about your job as your social life, your makeup, your hair, your clothes, whatever, now, there are a thousand variations of this, but they all come down to the same basic issue. Someone is struggling in some area of their life, and a quick look at their, at their life makes it clear that the real problem is priorities. 
that all their time is spent on the fun and the frivolous while the important things suffer. Someone says that he couldn't do the dishes because there just was no time, only to find out later that he had spent four hours watching the football game or whatever. And it's clear that the priorities are out of whack. And eventually, reality catches up and that person's life becomes a complete mess because he has never been able to focus on what really matters. And so those things have been neglected and the problems abound. And that's really what our passage is about. It's about priorities. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. This isn't an easy passage. Wondering how many people read it this week and thought, hmm, okay. Has left many scratching their heads. I personally thought it would be much easier to have Isaac preach it. It's a tough passage. And that's not surprising, really, because Jesus says a lot of hard things. He says a lot of tough things and a lot of surprising things. One of our biggest problems is that we tend to assume that he is just like us and he would never say anything we wouldn't say. Jesus confronts that problem, doesn't he, in verse 15, when he says, uh, your problem is is that you exalt things that are abominations to God. Your priorities are out of whack. And we need to get our heads around the reality that God does not play by our rules. Beyond this, we need to be careful not to make this parable say more than it actually does. I I think if we slow down and look at what Jesus says, it will start to make sense. Jesus is simply pointing out that Christians should be better at looking at the big picture and what really matters than non-Christians, and yet often it's the opposite. And in this sense, in that sense only, the world is sometimes wiser than the church. And it's a wake-up call to focus on what really matters, what is eternal, what is imperishable. It's about loyalty. It's about priorities. And and really, Jesus is basically saying, devotion to God is an all-or-nothing thing. An all-or-nothing matter. And the sooner we recognize this, the better. And that will lead us to focus on the things that matter and not be distracted so much with the things that don't. That's really where we're headed this morning. So let's just begin by looking at the parable and what it says and what it doesn't say. It's often called the parable of the dishonest manager or the shrewd manager or something like that. It starts with a rich man who uh, has so much wealth and business that he hired a manager to, to watch after his affairs. And then word reaches him eventually that this manager has not been managing things well. And rather than increasing this man's estate, the manager has been uh, squandering it. And so he calls the manager in and he demands an accounting of everything. And as the manager leaves to go put that accounting together, he has to figure out what to do because he knows he's in real trouble. Once his manager sees the books, there is no way he can keep his job. His manager, his boss has already said, you may not be the manager anymore. 
And he's afraid of hard work, and he's too proud to beg. So what did he do? Before turning in his accounting, he went around to the people who owed money, and he cut their debts. Now, he could have panicked and begged the the, um, master not to fire him. He could have scrambled and tried to put everything in order. But both options would have been attempts to hold on to a job that was already lost. But that's the natural instinct. We, we, we struggle to look down the road and admit when things are lost, when it's too late. We fixate on trying to keep the unkeepable. Minimize risk and things like that. It would have been quite natural for this manager to respond in this way, but that's not what he did. He knew there was no way he was going to keep his job. The question is simply, what then? What happens when it's all gone? What will he do when, not if, when he loses his job? He knew that if he treated his master's debtors well, that they would remember him later on when he was in need and they would take care of him. And so his only hope for the future is to stop focusing on what he has, stop trying to hold on to it, let go and plan for the future. And even his master, whom he cheated, had to see the foresight and the wisdom and commend him in verse 8. The master was probably thinking something like, if you had managed my affairs half as well as you managed your exit strategy, we'd both be richer. What Jesus is commending is the man's ability to look to the future and plan accordingly. He... He looks at those in the church, many of whom seem oblivious to what can't be kept and what can. Many seem unwilling to let go of what they must inevitably give up, and they fail to make plans for what then. They don't understand that they must make a choice. Cling to what's fleeting or hold on to what's eternal. Invest yourself in the perishable or invest yourself in the imperishable because you can't have both. An obsession with holding on to to earthly comfort is a destroyer of eternal comfort. And so in verse 9 he says, why don't you invest in the future by not worrying so much about the riches of this world that can't last? When you let go of your wealth and you bless others, you're investing in your future, is what he's saying. You're saying that that the eternal is more important than, than the earthly. And Jesus says, you won't be disappointed. You'll be welcomed, not into earthly tents and homes like the shrewd manager, but into eternal tents. When all earthly comforts pass away, you'll have a refuge. You'll still have a home. That's the point. And it could be no other way. 
Because Jesus himself is the consummate example of what it looks like to not be distracted by what is temporary and fleeting. Jesus is the almighty creator. John tells us, through him came into being everything that was created. Not one thing that has been made was not made by Jesus Christ. And when he came to earth, he could have had any life he wanted. He, he could have been born in and raised in palaces. And instead, he was born in a stable and raised in obscurity. He could have been rich beyond measure. And instead, he was known for having no possessions. He could have had servants, and instead he, he became a servant, and he served others. He could have commanded nations. He could have commanded armies. And instead, he allowed himself to be bound, mocked, beaten, whipped, spit upon, lied about, and executed. And in all of that, he refused to look for an easy way of escape. He refused to play the short game and give up the long game. We saw that in our passage last week, didn't we, when we looked at Hebrews 12. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He looked down the road and said, I can either avoid the cross and lose heaven, for all his people. Or he can endure the cross and gain heaven for all of us. It was what mattered, what was eternal that drove him. Because he did not cling to his earthly life, he was rewarded with heaven. Because he did not value earthly riches, he received heavenly reward. Jesus is known for that laser focus on what really matters. And he refused to be distracted by, by what can't last. And he modeled for us what it means to have right priorities. If God himself is willing to forgo earthly security because eternal security is more important, if God himself is willing to value what is imperishable over what is perishable, if God himself is, is willing to take what he has and to bless others with it and not be stingy, what does that tell us about his desire for us? What Jesus is calling us to is, is the necessary reality of the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is a recognition that we are all going to die. The day is coming when we must leave everything and leave it behind. We cannot take anything with us. And the gospel then acknowledges that it is only those who bow their knee and surrender fully and completely to Jesus Christ, who will be welcomed into heaven. And to drive that home, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You have to pick. You, you, you'll either love one and, and hate the other, or you will, you'll choose the other and hate the one. You must choose between God and money. Because only one can be your master, only one can be your source of security, only one can be your savior. That's the point of the parable. Even this dishonest manager came to the point where he realized he couldn't hold on to what he had and he started to make plans for the future. Why is it that people in the church are sometimes more blind than this man? 
At this point, Jesus doesn't even need to point out the Pharisees. They draw attention to themselves. They begin to ridicule Jesus because we're told they loved their money. And as he talked about letting go of what can't last and take hold of that that can't perish, they raged against him. They despised him because he was exposing their hearts. These were the men who had the respect of the people. These were the ones who sat in the synagogue and, and taught and lectured, who claimed to be the most de- pious and devout people among their peers, and yet they were slaves to their possessions. They didn't own their money. It owned them. And as Jesus pointed it out, they hated him for it. And then he uttered in verse 15 those most terrifying of words, God knows your heart and you love what's abominable in his sight. Because when all the facade was pulled back, they were nothing like the God they claimed to follow. Their hearts were fixated on what is perishing, while God's heart is fixated on what's eternal. They scrambled to keep what can't last, while while he seeks to secure for us what can't fade. They used others to, to promote their own wealth, while he freely gives all to seek and to save the lost. Their priorities and God's priorities have nothing in common. And it's not like they weren't warned. The law of Moses, the prophets, these made it clear who God is. They they laid out what the priorities should be. Israel was so unique in history about its rules for lending and forgiving debts and not being stingy. God's law, the prophets, they were always pushing the people towards what really mattered, what was eternal, what can't be lost. The two commandments that summarize the entire law and prophets are what? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because such is the way of God's kingdom. And so the whole kingdom of Israel was meant to be a picture and a foretaste of God's kingdom that eternal kingdom which will never perish. And it's, it's that kingdom that is now being preached by Jesus Christ, now coming to fulfillment. And it's not like the kingdoms of men it, that focus on wealth and pleasure and power. God instructed his people to be generous, to forgive debts, to seek others' goods. That's, that's what he taught them, to forsake the world and follow him. And here he is, he's saying that kingdom has come. And everyone, verse 16, says wants in, but they can't force their way in. They can't buy their way in because it belongs to those who forsake the world and follow him. But if they couldn't see that in the law and the prophets, how will they see it now? If they failed when they had little, they're just going to fail now that they have more. Because he who is faithful in little is faithful in much, and he who fails in little fails in much. Now that Jesus, greater than the law and prophets, is standing before them, are they going to do any better than they did reading Moses and the prophets? Their problem is they want to hold on to heaven and earth. They want to 
keep their cake and eat their cake and believe that eating it won't make it disappear. Jesus says that's like having two masters or two wives. It doesn't work. One will win out over the other. You have to pick. Where do you want your comfort? Heaven or earth? Where do you want your treasure? You have to decide what really matters. He's not saying that you can't have a bank account or a house or plan for retirement. He's saying if that's where you look for your comfort, that's where your loyalty is. So what do you do? Well, you learn a lesson from a shrewd manager who was at least smart enough to let go of what he could not keep and set his sights and his focus on the future. He's not saying that you should go out and swindle others. He's simply saying that his children should be more focused on the future than the children of the world are. His children should cling to their earthly riches looser than the children of the world cling to theirs. His children should be more generous than the children of the world. And if that if they are able to handle these little things well, they will be ready for greater things. So beloved, I have to ask, what really matters to you? You can't serve two masters. You can't sit on the fence You have to decide whom you will serve. You have to decide what matters. You have to figure out what you're going to labor for. And yes, I know your loyalty will struggle. You will falter. You will stumble. But if you're not thinking about the future and what your priorities are and what they should be, if you're not thinking about what truly matters, if you're not asking the right questions, you won't catch yourself when you stumble and falter, when your focus drifts onto what's passing away. And you will start to labor for and focus on and obsess about what cannot last. If you keep your focus on Jesus, you'll remember what truly matters is what lasts forever. And you'll be convinced in your heart of hearts that your greatest treasures can't be seen with the eyes. You'll remember that what is stored up in heaven is worth any sacrifice that it takes to keep it. I know a lot of us look around and see things shifting. Comforts disappearing. And the temptation is to obsess and cling and think that all is lost if we don't keep our earthly comforts, our worldly comforts. The Lord might preserve those, the Lord might take them away. But heaven and earth cannot pass away unless God says so. We cannot lose our heavenly reward 
without the Father's say-so. Our Lord Jesus gave everything and gained more. And to keep that before us, our Lord has a very visual reminder for us this morning. Jesus held his life in this world very loosely so that he might purchase redemption for us. The Apostle Paul says it this way, He who was rich for our sakes became poor that we might become rich with heavenly wealth. He gave his life so that we might live forever. And all of that is pictured in the Lord's Supper. Because in the bread and the wine, we see Christ's death We see what he was willing to give, that that he was willing to sacrifice all for what really mattered. And it's meant to do more than remind us and comfort us, which it certainly does. It's also meant to shape us so that we might be more like Jesus. So we might set our eyes and our hearts and our focus on the things above where, where moth and rust and protesters and leaders can't break in and steal and take things away from us. set our minds and our hearts above where Christ is seated and and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Encourage one another to be reminded of what really matters. So I'd like to ask our elders to come forward that we might receive this gift from our Lord this morning. Please bow with me in prayer. Eternal God, we thank you for your constant reminders of what really matters. We get so distracted by the trivial that we neglect the important. Help us to focus on the future, to look to eternity, to gladly let go of what we cannot keep so that we might hold on to what cannot perish, we pray. Amen.